Hello there and welcome to this week's broadcast preview. Callum Williams here alongside some merry Minnesotan musketeers. Gindred St. Albin and Jamie Watson join me as always. And uh, what a ride this team are on at the moment, guys. Seven Yes, seven wins in a row for Minnesota United. Kindred E. St. Aubin, during our earlier years of covering this side, did we ever think we would see a run like this? I don't know if we ever, you know, I think we thought there would be a light at the end of the tunnel, but I'm not sure if we really kind of were able to embrace the fact that it might be there somewhere, you know, a small, tiny glimpse of light. Because it's been a process. It's been crazy. I mean, I was just talking to someone this morning about it, like the back and forth between the frustration of times of during a shellacking in the first, you know, season and a half of 2017 and 2018. And then moments where you really felt like there were some bright, positive glimpses. And now to see where this team is at now, it's just crazy that, um, you know, I think we all feel in the end that we were fortunate that we've been on this journey, although at times it was a little bit painful. Um, <laughs> and now here we are. And everybody's like happy to be on the field, happy to be at training, happy to be part of the club. Everybody's smiling a little bit bigger, a little bit brighter uh, when you're winning. And it, it's fun to see. It's fun to see the pieces come rolling in and the wins come along with it. Now you guys correct me if I'm wrong here, but in, in my opinion, one of the main differences with this team now compared to the team over the last couple of years, obviously the, the bodies and, and the, the personnel have changed drastically, but I thought, Jamie, the game against Dallas was a real indication and real evidence of my point I'm about to make. I think a couple of years ago, maybe even just a year ago, Minnesota would have lost that game against FC Dallas. Now it seems as though we have a team that don't necessarily need to play well, or at least they can play poorly and still win. Yeah, I think that sometimes that's the sign of how good your team really is. Can you not perform at your best on the day, but still get a result? And I think for Minnesota United, um, because there were so many additions in the offseason and additions that contribute week in and week out, of course, we're talking about the big five that Minnesota United signed um, in the offseason, Manone, Alonzo, Metzenaire, uh, Eichel Parra, and help me out the other one. I'm yeah, blanking Gregish. on Dragish. There we go. Right up the spine of the team. Um, you look at those five, then the two draft picks, Dotson and Gasper. So there's seven players right now. And of those seven, six of those players were on the field against FC Dallas. So while we all know the pain that sometimes was associated with the first two seasons in which tightly contested matches seemingly went the other way, those players don't, and they have a new identity. And I think the first time we really saw that was in Vancouver when the team went down on the road in the first game of the season within the first five minutes. And Adrian made a good point uh, about that after the game when we spoke to him, and he said that yeah, we went down and, and some of the old guards started thinking, oh, no, here we go again. And he goes, but this is a different group. This is a different mentality. They don't know that. So what they know is what they've – accumulated over their career and that's a lot of winners and, and players that have gone and made their teams better and and so I think the mindset is has shifted throughout the year but I think fans from Minnesota United are really starting to believe that mindset now because there's been enough proof there's been enough instances in which this team has found a way to get a result and they've pushed themselves further up the Western Conference been above the playoff line the entirety of the season 20 games in now and really proving as though it's not a team that looks like, are they going to make the playoffs? It's now, 
are they going to make the playoffs in a position in which they get to host a match in the first round? So I think that this team has proven it. I think that it's time to actually really believe in this team. And I think now it's time to expect them to win these games and get these kind of points and results in these close, gritty, ugly at times matches. But it's never ugly when you get three points, is it? No, no, far from it. And it was far from ugly when the final whistle went. And and just before that as well, Kendra, um, a moment of supreme magnitude and tremendous drama, um, not only with the match-winning goal, uh, a late winner from Mason Toy, who, who we'll talk about briefly a little later on, but then you go up the other end and concede a penalty, which Vito Manone saves. And we, we all said, didn't we, that we've we've not really seen a a situation like that and um, in that particular incident as well with the magnitude of the win we've we've not seen a situation where the stadium has exploded like that before well and it's crazy because anybody who's been to every home match that there is at Allianz Field has has understood the magn- the the voice the power of the noise in that stadium and the visiting teams have felt it as well and I think a perfect example was that Aston Villa had talked to us about it all week long because they were at that FC Dallas match, a good majority of them. And even for us who have been at Allianz Field for every home game, understood that that was the loudest I have ever heard that scene. That was the loudest I had ever heard Wonderwall sung. And I think that was kind of the power of the moment because that was not a good soccer match. That was not a no. good, if you're watching that game and, and you know, even some of the Aston Villa players said the same thing, but they understand that they've been part of games like that were before. It's not necessarily pretty soccer. Both teams didn't exactly play their best. It wasn't great looking to the eye, but it had the drama and the intensity to finish it off, to wrap it up with those goals, that save like that, that to me is part of the beautiful game as well. You know, even though the game itself wasn't so beautiful, it's the drama at the end and the big moments and the supporters waiting for a moment to erupt. How many times did we say that during the match? We just felt like they were waiting for a reason to cheer. And for them, it didn't come until the 91st minute and then shortly thereafter with the penalty save. But I think those are the kind of games, again, that, you know, maybe they wouldn't have won in the past. That's the kind of support. That's the fortress that Allianz Field needs to be due to the fan base, due to the supporters and the atmosphere in there. And I think um, I think this this just bodes so well for this team and for this club and for a player like Robin Lud, mm. who was there watching that match. I mean, what would that feel like to him? I mean, who cares if you've seen it on TV before or if you've seen a YouTube video of the atmosphere there? You've experienced it. You've witnessed it. You've felt it in person. And I know Aston Villa just got promoted to the premier to me, premiership to Premier League, but you have to wonder how many of those players are going. Wow, this is what it's like over here. This is what it's like in MLS. This is the atmosphere that is played here. This is the stadium and the vibe. I would have to think that that was a pretty cool feeling even for them to come over and see it in person themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll talk about uh, Aston Villa and the friendly that Minnesota United played uh, a little later on. Um, Jamie, you were a a young, ripe center forward at one stage uh, many a moon ago. What's going so right and so well for Mason Toy at the moment? Well, you're right. It was many moon ago. Um, <laughs> it was a while uh, since then. I certainly never had the uh, the form of the goal scoring streak that Mason Toys found within the last four or five weeks now. But uh, the biggest thing I can say for Mason Toy between the 2019 season, in particular this last month and a half, as opposed to the 18 months prior, part of being Minnesota United, 
I think at the end of 2018, I think the confidence was at a really low point for Mason Toy. I think Mason Toy was ready for 2018 season to be done. And I think he didn't really have the season that he wanted and had expected of himself because this is a player that had scored a ton of goals in high school two years prior to that. Then the year before, he scored a ton of goals at Indiana. Then he comes to Major League Soccer, and he doesn't score all season. And he struggles to play. Then he gets one start on the season and gets sent off in that match. By the end of 2018, finishing sessions for Mason Toy were, were at times a struggle for him, and it was a struggle for the players around him. And well, I'll tell you as well, and also, and I say this with all due respect, it was excruciating to watch at times. Yeah, Because you could tell he was really, really trying. But it wasn't coming off. And that's that's where it was that's where it was tough to watch because you just see this nineteen year old with so much desire and willingness for it to go well, but it just wasn't right. So then you get to the off season, and when you're an older player, you kind of shut off and you just go right. This is an off season. I need to recover. I need to rest. It's about preserving your legs. But for Mason, who was nineteen, going to be turning twenty, he was about putting it into overdrive and and putting the work in. Now, um, to have that mentality and then actually do it are two different things. And he did it. And I remember I got a chance to play pickup with them in the offseason just before preseason started. Um, we don't have to talk about how well it went for me. That's neither <laughs> here nor there. But I will say at one point, Mason Toy, and this was probably about seven or eight of the players that joined, a lot of local kids um, playing, was a decent level, but Mason Toy was clear-cut, head and shoulders above the rest. One play, he took it off the outside of his foot. He turned, he started running at me, square on, and I remember thinking, I've got to dive in because if I try to run with him, I'm not going to be able to do it. If I try to be patient, he's just going to end up blowing by me at some point. He's faster. Uh, he was uh, faster. He was fitter. He was he was in full flow. Everything that you could want from a player that you would expect was scoring goals at a regular basis the year before. Blew by me, finished it, and and I looked at him afterwards when we were getting water, and I was like, if you do that, there's not a defender in this league that can defend that. It was that good of a passage of play. And then it took a little bit of time, started progressing in training, got his opportunities, made the most of it now. And I think that confidence is what's completely changed from what we saw at the end of 2018, guys, because we go to a lot of trainings, don't we? And we see it and we see when the, the wave is going of confidence and when the wave of <laughs> despair is going. Mason Toy is on a wave of confidence right now, the likes at which um, we haven't seen maybe till Darwin Quintero last year. Mm. And maybe Darwin Kadero as of late in the Open Cup, you're starting to see a similar type wave of that where the goal looks like it's 30 yards wide and the kid can't miss right now. And now I'm interested to see how long he can maintain this. But then when that wave stops, how quickly is it till he catches another wave of confidence? That's the sign of which you start to see players really evolve in their career. And um, that's why I think the difference has been with Mason Toy, to be quite honest. Well, I think even his mannerisms, when he when he is missing, when he does miss an opportunity, when he doesn't make the right run, whatever it might be. I mean, how many times last year did we see him just throw his head back yeah. and give up on the play? Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he missed. And then the play is still going on behind him. It's just a maturation process, too. I mean, remembering how young he was when he came here. I was chatting with a father and a son at training today, and they were saying they had had lunch with Mason Toy the day before, two days earlier. And he sat there and talked to them about Indiana and his experience there. And he said to them how much he needed that last year and a half. Mm. And I mean, that to me, just hearing him talk and hearing him speak and hearing his reaction to when things don't go his way is all part of the maturation process and just watching him evolve 
and it's crazy. And I'm sure the coaching staff is just as pleased to see it because not just the on the field stuff, but in the head, in the head as well. And, you know, choosing to stay here in the frozen tundra during the off season and, and put his work in. I mean, it's really been fun to see. Yeah. The kid was putting dents in the concrete wall <laughs> yes. at national sports center in the <laughs> indoor facility just by himself. Yep. Mm-hmm. Never got lonely or bored. Mm-hmm. He was just up here knocking balls off the wall, turning, finishing from there. And, mm-hmm. um, it's been cool to see. We're lucky enough to get mm-hmm. to see those types of moments. And so it's really cool to kind of see that behind the scenes. Kendra, you said maturation of a, of a youngster. And so hopefully, hopefully the, the ride continues for him because Right now, it looks like there's a very high ceiling for Mason Toy. Yeah, it's been uh, a joy and a, a thrill to watch Mason Toy develop over the course of the last 18 months or so. And you get the feeling as well, there's a lot more to come as well. As you mentioned, Kendra, only 20 years of age. But uh, this may very well be a, an unfair question, but um, where do we feel his ceiling is, Mason Toy? Man. Do, do we have a, a, a real superstar on our hand here I, I, again I, this, as I said mm-hmm. this might be slightly mm-hmm. unfair because it is so young in his career mm-hmm. I th- man that's that's tough for me to say but um, I think we could I think we could I think we could in MLS you know I don't know I don't know what his ambitions and aspirations are if there are any outside of this league but I think that he at 20 years old and now seeing his ability and seeing his um, level-headedness and let's see how we now that he's on this high how does he deal with the low and how does he you know don't get too high don't get too low stay even keeled which was uh, I think a question mark for me last year um, coming in I, I think that absolutely he could continue to take this league by store storm continuing the health continuing the run of form and he could be a highly you know, sought after player within MLS, um, without a doubt for me. I mean, I think he could be the all-star, you know, leading scorer, golden boot, mm. MLS type of a player, even with all the international players and the different DPs that are coming into this league. I think he has that ability if he keeps his wits about him and continues to learn because he's got to continue to fine tune his game and change how he makes the runs and how he finishes and how he makes teammates better as teams can start to, you know, to catch on to him and what he's capable of. He's got to adjust his game and we'll see how that continues being only 20 years old. I think for Mason Toy, I think his next goal at 20 years old certainly should be to try to participate in the summer Olympics in 2020 in Tokyo with, um, U23s because mm. I think he should have ambitions and I think being 20 years old now I think next year he should certainly be a player that within the next 12 months time finds a way to break into Jason Kreis's under 23 U.S. men's national team and competes in the Olympics in Tokyo because I think he has the ability now to prove he has a unique combination of speed of size but then that innate ability in the box where he's giving you glimpses to date of smart maneuver, smart maneuvering in the box. Like we saw in Houston in the 89th minute to complete the comeback uh, in the open cup for Minnesota United to score the third goal to win it for his first professional goal uh, in all competitions for Minnesota United. And I think you start to look at players that would be eligible for that 23 and under to represent the U S men's national team. Uh, a lot of that is going to be based here in the United States There'll be a few international players that Jason Christ will have to be able to choose from. But 
Vestoy can do can prove that he can do it for 90 minute stretches when he starts and is trusted to lead the line for Minnesota United, but can also do it as a substitute, which we've certainly seen him be able to do that more so actually than we've seen him do it from the beginning and onset of a match. That gives Jason Kreiss a different dynamic if he needs to be able to to choose a player that to, he can bring on late in games that can score goals that can get in the box that can stretch defenses. I think that's a player, right? I think that's a, a a path that the player right now should be looking to try to be on. Can he evolve to the U.S. under-23 and men's national team? And then from there, go from strength to strength. But this certainly should be a player that within the next, I'd say, 24 months, 18 to 24 months, you should be expecting him to be a starter regularly in this league, scoring 12 to 14 goals, leading the line, and... You know, does he necessarily fit the bill to lead the 4-2-3-1 formation that Adrian Heath wants? I think that maybe caters to more of a style of Angelo Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. But with that said, if he can include hold-up play into his game, and you add in the speed and the size and the ability to run past people, maybe he becomes the perfect player yeah. in the 4-2-3-1 formation. But that's where I see it. I, I think that the Olympics certainly has to be a goal for him, and I think it should be something that he definitely should realistically aim for and try to achieve next for him. Well, he had another good week. He obviously scored a late winner against FC Dallas. And then, Kendra, you spoke of, of his maturation um, over the last couple of weeks. I'm sure that was aided and helped by going up against a Premier League backline on Wednesday evening. Minnesota United, of course, lost 3-0 to the Premier League new boys, Aston Villa. And we said when we saw the lineups that, again having the opportunity for Mason Toy to go up against a backline of that magnitude is certainly not going to do him any harm. Well, and I don't think um, I don't think he backed down from any of the the physical matchups, especially with Mings. You know, we saw him in the second half matching up against that big boy on the center back for Aston Villa, and, and as Jamie's talking about his holdup play, if that's something he can develop, and these are the kind of things that can only make him better. And if he if he looks at and approaches every match in that way. What can I learn from this game? What can I take away from it, including a game against Aston Villa? I think those are the kind of things that he has to go in and, and try to check the boxes on what he accomplished that. Even if Minnesota doesn't win, even if he doesn't score a goal, what did he do well in that match and what can he do better? And I think that not backing down from the physical play, developing that hold-up play, Again, timing those runs off the shoulder, whether it's using the pace in behind, starting at half field or starting up closer to the box and making sure he's available when, uh, you know, when his teammates do get the ball for the, the combination play up the middle of the field or with Ethan Finley when he's tucking inside. I mean, these are just all things that I think Mason Toy is, is continuing to develop. And I think going up against Aston Villa and those players last night could do only positive things for everybody on the roster. I don't care right. if you're a veteran of this team or you're Mason Toy. I talked to Wyatt Omsberg about it today. What was that game like for you? Mm. And he's like, wow, were they good in tight spaces, best, best team, best players, hands down have ever played against in my life. And I think that um, regardless if you got beat, regardless if you didn't, and this, I mean like one V one defensively or, or attacking, whatever you've got to take something from that game, take a positive, learn from it. And I don't think anybody on Minnesota United looked intimidated or like fearful of, of the matchup with such a high level team. They took it and they learned from it. And I think it was, um, it was a, it was a good night for everybody from that front. Mm -hmm. Not so much on the night of like, did anyone show us anything from Minnesota United that needed to show us something that finally got some minutes? Yeah. I must admit, Jeremy, I, I thought the game in itself uh, was about as preseason as it gets. Uh, the pace was um, 
I think it's best described. It was it was probably a race between a sloth and a snail, really, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> it, it wasn't particularly great. So between you and I, Cal. Uh, basically, you know yes. Jamie's still got some speed, but a sloth <laughs> and a snail, you and I. Basically, as long you, as you and don't I. Pull a hammy. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but um, the the three goals for Aston Villa were taken very well indeed, uh, and they showed their quality uh, in front of goal for sure. Yeah, well, you guys, first of all, you might be too kind accusing me of being fast. I wasn't. Uh, wasn't the case a couple years when I still played. I didn't say you were fast, now. just faster just than faster a sloth than and a snail. It's, <laughs> it's like when you're running from a bear, you don't have to be the fastest person in the world. Just be faster than the people exactly. you're running next to, right? So, exactly. No, it's uh, it's it's certainly a, a case in which um, you got Aston Villa, who, Cal, you'll know this very well, being um, a massive supporter of Aston Villa. Um, and you'll speak to this. And I want to get your take on it, what you thought of the match from more of a, an analysis standpoint than, mm. than a commentator standpoint. But uh, for me, I really felt as though you saw a rejuvenated side in Aston Villa in which um, Dean Smith handed out, I believe it was five um, debutants, their first appearance for Aston Villa. You're starting to see some big signings, some big money being thrown around for some players. You're starting to see... Um, really a team in which there's a real understanding now that this is Premier League football mm. and and everyone is going to have to fight for places week in and week out um, because they're adding pieces each and every day it almost seems as another one was just um, added while the team was here. We actually didn't get a chance to see them play in the match mm. last night. Angles, um, I believe. Is that yeah. right? Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. So um, this team right now, they took this game very seriously because it was the first time that they were able to see uh, in a competitive match against different different opposition than what yes. they're seeing in training. And you saw Aston Villa look very calm in possession. I thought Hatza was fantastic on, on the day. Um, his ability to drive at defenders, draw defenders, in, and then look to combine with the new signing Wesley. By the way, he's, he's massive. He boy, is huh? a big boy. He is strong. He is physical. He is not going to struggle um, with the speed of play within um, the Premier League. But I, but I also thought everybody around them looked really, really strong. Target on one side was really good. O'Hare was really good in the, in the middle as well. And, um, yeah, the game wasn't necessarily the best advertisement for Minnesota United. Um but having said that, give a good account for themselves. Good small pockets of play and passages of play, but they look clearly look motivated. They look strong. They look sharp, and their goals they took well. Jack Grealish from twenty five out. I was going to say for me the the three in between the lines, El Ghazi, Grealish, and Hotter were were spectacular. They really were, and they're they're so dynamic that they're going to cause problems for other teams. I thought defensively they were smart and how they they collapsed, made the field very condensed, very tight, very tough to break down. Um, but I think that uh, on the day you saw that a motivated Aston Villa side with a lot of new signings and a new sense of purpose being in the Premier League now really gave a good account of themselves, especially if that's their first game of the season. Really well done. I thought uh, Bjarnason did really well. Um, he took his goal really well late on. Wonderful bit from Gilbert to show a burst of speed on the second goal he crosses into Lansbury. And, like I said, Grealish's first goal dips his shoulder on Lawrence Olam and then curls it from 25 out. There's not many keepers that are saving out with that much power and pace, precision to the back post. So, um, But for you, Cal, you know this Villa side well. Mm. You followed them along as they went through heartbreak two seasons ago, <laughs> making it to the final and losing in the playoff final, and then ultimately 
succeeding, climbing the mountain that is uh, the championship, lifting the trophy at Wembley over Derby County 2-1. What was the difference you saw last night in Villa as opposed to that side that finished 2018-2019 season, ultimately earning promotion? I think, um, uh, as I mentioned, uh, there's, and it's, I'm not, I know I'm not exactly being encyclopedic by saying this, but the, the just the, there's a, a genuine Premier League quality there now with some of the players that they've added. Um, you know, I think the second string that we saw, the second eleven that we saw as well, had a sprinkling of players that will start on opening day for Aston Villa as well. I thought John McGinn was a mm-hmm. um, was a fabulous presence in the central midfield yeah. as well, um, and it, it was interesting because three players. Um, that scored against Minnesota United were all with Aston Villa in the championship last season. Um, and um, the the one criticism I think that that Villa had last year was that there wasn't enough goals from midfield. It's funny how things change overnight. So um, for me, Jeremy, it's, it, it's just it's just more quality more than anything. And as I mentioned, I thought that the, the trio uh, in between the midfield and, and backline of Minnesota were, were good and Potter looked like uh, he could take on just about anybody. El Ghazi, when he got into space and got in behind, I thought looked a threat. And and, yeah, and Jack Grealish is 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 a superstar. He really is. And um, it's interesting chatting to him in the week, saying you know he really wanted to use this season as uh, his opportunity to to grab the headlines and, and more than anything grab the eyeballs of of Gareth Southgate and and be a part of the England national team. That was um, that was really intriguing. Um, but the whole. The whole experience was was um, I, I think for me it was just utterly bizarre. Uh, I, I was just saying this on on Sound of the Loons, which myself and, and Steve recorded a little earlier today. It was um, it it was a thrill, it was a joy, but it it was um, it, it was bizarre seeing a team that I've grown up with, uh, had season tickets as a teenager. Um, have followed almost religiously all of my life, um, training at the NSC at Blaine. It was just what worlds colliding. Uh, yeah, it really was. It really, really was. Um, the the best experience of it all, because people came up to me a lot and they were saying, "Oh, you know, it's just a dream come true and everything." And no, no, it's not a dream come true. I'd seen Villa plenty of been around them in the Premier League and the Football League through previous jobs and stuff, and um, it it was just bizarre you know, seeing them in that setting. But I, th- I think that the best thing out of all of it um, was getting the opportunity to take my parents to an Aston Villa training session because, again, yeah. these these guys have, have followed Villa since the 1970s, you know. Uh, my dad used to go on the road uh, away across Europe with them uh, in the 80s in Villa's heyday. Um, and, and, you know, my dad couldn't believe where he was. Mm-hmm. Um within touching distance of, of Dean Smith and Jack Grealish. And, um, and you know, then when, when Dean Smith obviously recognised the three of us and we had a chat, my dad was just saying, this isn't normal. Like, this <laughs> what's going on? You know, it's crazy. Um, what was the uh, what was the cool story with your mom and her favourite player? Oh, so um, it was the, mo- the Monday morning when it was an open training session. Um, I took my parents to Blaine a little earlier. Um, just so they could have a little bit of uh, a tour of the facility. They hadn't seen it before. And uh, so our press officer, Eric Durkee, uh, escorted us through um, the, the locker room area. And my mom is a huge fan of Tyrone Mings. So as we're... Yeah. <laughs> Apparently all the ladies love Tyrone Mings. Um, so um, we are walking through the main hallway 
Um, and uh, Eric Durkey is, is, you know, pointing out a few things. Here's the locker room, blah, 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 blah. Um, players lounge. Uh, and here's the gym. And out walks Tyrone Minks. And my mom froze. <laughs> <laughs> and she just rattled out some... Uh, Co- complete and utter garbage. She said, my, you're tall. Or something, something like that. Like, that yeah. Of course he knows he's <laughs> tall. Hey, everybody says that too. She's, yeah, that was She funny. just completely froze. Um, so it was little experiences like that that really made the um, the, the last few days special. And, she got and some redemption a little bit later in the day. She did. She got an actual picture with him as yeah. well, which, uh, again, she... Uh, she, saw, she told me she was actually physically shaking. Um, <laughs> and she was doing selfies, trying to get John Terry, like, in the background. Yes, and, yes. Well, uh, Long-distance selfie. Yeah, <laughs> and, his, and your dad said, looked at you on the sideline one time, and, he would, and I thought he was going to cry. He said <laughs> his, dad, his dad would be so proud of this moment, yeah. like, of what that, you know, experiencing that. And yeah. You get, getting to experience it with your dad. I mean, yes. it's just... Those are kind of things that, you know, it's hard to wrap your brain around sometimes until you're you're in it. Well, we're very fortunate, aren't we, because we work in football and it is the norm for us. It really is. You know, having a chat with someone like Dean Smith uh, and chatting to Premier League players and, and, and MLS players and superstars around the world, it, it's the norm. And sometimes I think we, we forget that, don't we? And especially when we have an experience like that. Um, as I mentioned, my mom shaking when, when she was mm-hmm. walking us to Tyrone Mings and mm-hmm. It, it was amazing. And I'll tell you what was really, really great as well. Not to turn this into the Callum Williams podcast, by the way. Apologies. You never get to talk yeah, about right? that. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, no, no. It's time for us to turn the tables on you, pal. Um, it's, uh, I appreciate it. Um, it. What was really nice as well was um, there was a particular pub downtown Minneapolis, um, Brits Pub. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. Where you um, have a cot in the back. <laughs> start paying rent there soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Um, you know, being around so many Aston Villa fans who are from Birmingham. Um, and it was great that there were so many who came from across North America as well, which, again, um, proves again to me how big Aston Villa are as a football club. Um, but to have people from Birmingham who, um, you know, we, we were talking about, oh, you know, yeah, I'm from this town, I'm from this town. Oh, do you know that road? Oh, the yeah. construction's terrible yeah. there right now. And all this kind of stuff, you know, it just... Um, it felt very right. It it felt very, uh, very homely. I did a Q and A Q&A with the Aston Villa CEO uh, and a little pub quiz for them and for the fans there and everything and, and helped with the Villa uh, jersey launch. Um, it it reminded me of home. Um, and I'll be totally honest, not to go too deep into it. I, it made me think about a lot. Um, it really did. Um, you know, as I said, not not to get too much into it, but um, it it felt very much like home. Um, and and I th- I thought about a lot of things over the last couple of days. And um, you know, it was it was great. It was it was such a phenomenal experience. And and as I said, um, I I I didn't really make a big deal of it. I was like, it's Aston Villa. It's fine. It's it's yeah. you know, it's it's just um, it's just another Premier League team. But but it was it was nice. It was a cool experience having Villa. Uh, in the Twin Cities, and um, hopefully we can see Villa again in North America. So we'll wait and see. Anyway, let's move on, shall we? Hey, it's um, great to see. It's great to see that this is what people love about you, is how passionate you get, mm. whether it's a 90th-minute winner, 95th-minute PK save, 98th-minute PK save, or seeing you talk about it, you know, 24 hours after the fact. I think that's what's the beauty of this this game is, right? And that's why people care so much about the teams they support. because. Right. 
you're telling this story, somebody else listening could have this similar type story with their team or mm. with their favorite player and whatnot. So we don't get the fan out a lot. Yeah, you know, we don't, I'm serious, <laughs> yeah. like because we do get so caught up in it being the profession and like, oh, there's so and so walking by. Oh, there's so and you know what I mean? Like, oh, we just did an interview with so and so. Like, I think it's it's cool because it kind of brings you back to your roots. Like, yes, it brings does. you yeah. back to why you love the game in the first place and yeah. why you're even here doing this. You hey, know? you were season ticket holder at 13 years old, pal. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, that's imagine a long- what it's like for Jack Grealish. I mean, he joined the club at six or whatever. You know what yeah, I mean? Well, yeah. Like, and now he's playing with another. And I, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I, he probably fans out himself, and he's on the team. Yeah. He's the captain. Right. <laughs> Question for you. Last one before we wrap this up. Move on. Like you were trying to do a moment ago, and I interrupted you. Uh, Twelve months time. Jack Grealish said he wants to use the season to be uh, the catalyst that springboard him into the English national team with Gareth Southgate. Twelve months time. Does he make England's roster for the Euros? In 2020 oh um i think he gets a look i i think um he's gonna have a lot of the ball in this villa team um I th- and, I, I, and, I, and i'm glad he stayed at villa because there was an obvious opportunity for him to go to, to tottenham and i don't think he would have been on the field as much um at spurs as he would have with, with aston villa and i even think if he got into the spurs team regularly he wouldn't have had the ball at his feet as much as he will do with this villa team um so i think the spotlight's going to be on him a lot more playing for a team like villa um i think he's going to use that to the best of his ability i think when england play a couple of friendlies where Gareth Southgate is going to be thinking, right, who, who, who's the new breed coming through? I've got to take a look at a couple of new players. And, and England are, are going through a transitional period right now where, you know, we, we have the, a lot of the um, accomplished and established stars like, like Harry Kane and Harry Maguire, uh, Jordan Henderson and whatnot. But uh, they are now approaching their late 20s. And you're starting to see a couple of the younger players uh, now start to appear who are 21, 22. Jack Grealish is 23. And I just wonder now, over the course of the next 12 months, when England plays some friendlies, I wonder if Gareth Southgate takes a look at him. It wouldn't surprise me if he got two or three caps moving forward. Whether or not he does enough to warrant a place on the Euros roster is a question I will answer in 12 months. <laughs> uh, but yes, I think he gets a look over the course of the next next six to eight months for sure. Kendra? Well, I think he gets a look, but I mean, how many guys on that roster, on that just the Aston Villa roster alone, can you go and go, oh, look, they've been with England U15s through U21s, U15 through U21, every level at some sort of youth, mm. and how difficult it is to make that senior team roster. I mean, and that's just Aston Villa. Forget about every other Premier League team that is over there. I mean, it is so tough to get in that in that group, you know, and I hope he does, and I hope he works his tail off, and I think he will. Um, you said it, he'll have a ton of the ball this year. He's on a, a bigger stage now. Mm. And um, he sounds like he wants to put it. If, if that's his goal, and Dean Smith said to us, he's not the first one in, but he's the last one off yeah. every day. And that is his goal, is to get on that England squad. And he feels like he can do it if he puts his mind to it. So we'll see. I say he makes it. Okay. <laughs> Since you asked. There we go. Um, somebody else who will be making the most of a new opportunity, uh, potentially, that has come their way is the new Minnesota United signing, Robin Lurd. Yes, that is Robin Lurd, just so we get the pronunciation right. Um, Finland International uh, obviously had spoken a ton to Rasmus Schuler before joining, and, and Rasmus uh, was able to wax lyrical about Minnesota United and Major League Soccer. Um, 
Robin Lur joins from Sporting Gijon in the second division in Spain. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I knew you was coming up. Say that again. Sporting Gijon. They named the donkeys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dear me. Get your coat. Um, <laughs> so, um, to our knowledge, uh, Kendra, I'll start with you here. He is a, a traditional left winger, but he can also play in the centre of midfield as well. He, he's done that for the Finnish national mm-hmm. team. He's also played at left back a little mm-hmm. bit as well when he was playing for Panathinaikos over in Greece. Um, another versatile piece to this Minnesotan puzzle, and we know Adrian Heath really likes him. Well, and it, we, he said, I mean, it took him, what, nearly two years to get him over here, and not just because, you know, this is contract issues and getting the player at the right time and where is he moving to and convincing a player to, to come to MLS and just all those things. So I think Adrian Heath is delighted that he has finally come, and I think um, Robin Lud will also be delighted that he's made the switch and he's made the move. Um, I think... You can expect everything that you just said. An attacking left-sided player. Can he play on the left wing? Could he play a left back? Can he play an attacking midfielder role? Um, could he create? Can he play make? Can he score? I think he can do all those things. I think maybe if people look at some of the score sheets or some of the score lines, they might be wondering why doesn't he have more goals? But I think it's about what he does when he's off the ball. And he's, maybe he's the second assist man. He's not the first assist. It's like a hockey player. Maybe you don't get the first pass in that creates the goal, but it's the one prior. And um, I think if he comes into this league, he knows he he maybe has done his research, hopefully. Mm. He understands that you can't just waltz into this league and, and walk over it like maybe some players when they come from international do or, or think. And um, Rasmus Schuler struggled in his first season just adapting to the pace of the league, to the style of the, the league, the physicality of the league. And even Jan Gregus, it's taken him some time to get into this league and to fit into it. And hopefully um, he'll be good to go as soon as he's he's able. You know, I mean... <clears throat> at training today, I saw him scoring a couple nice left-footed goals, you know, volleys out of the air, the, the things that they want him to do, and it was a small-sided game on big goals, but who cares? Like, everybody's just happy to see it go in the back of the net, see him have the confidence to take the shot, and I think uh, it's just another attacking piece to the puzzle. It adds more depth to this team, and it's fun to see now that you've got Kevin Molino, Darwin Quintero, Ethan Finley, you know, Miguel Ibarra, all these players that can contribute, whether it's from wide spaces or centrally, and continue to get this team, you know, I shouldn't say get this team because they're already on the right path attacking-wise, but just another positive piece. With, uh, let's not forget as well, by the way, he's not going to be available for a couple yes. of weeks because of, of visa um, needs and also a couple of personal issues he has to take mm-hmm. care of um, back in Spain. But say, for example, he arrives in a couple of weeks, Jamie, and we have what? 12, 11 games remaining. What can we realistically expect in that time frame? It's hard to quantify, right? Because there's so many different intangibles. Um, you know, is he going to be introduced into the starting 11 right away? Mm. Is he going to need time to uh, adjust? Does he stay healthy? So I don't want to sit here and say if it's 12 games, he's got to get four goals. Or if it's, you know, 10 games he ends up playing, but four of them are starts, you know, then then two or three goals is, is suffice enough. Um, I think what you want to see, and ultimately in this, of all the people that have been targeted, um, I think that Adrian Heath, his staff, Manny Lagos, his staff, have bought some good faith with the recent success they had and all of the signings they had in the offseason. I mentioned that earlier at the top of the podcast, the five that they hit on in the offseason. You start to look at it now and go, right, you've made mistakes in the past with some of the signings. Some of them didn't pan out for reasons as such. They weren't up to the the level of MLS, but then also you look at, you know, 
uh, Romario Barra, even Rasmus Schuler initially had time, had struggling, had struggles at times settling into just a different way of life in a different country. Um, Rasmus Schuler was a shadow of himself when he first came here, goes back to Finland, gets his mind wrapped around the idea of it. Now he comes back and last year he was arguably one of the best players and one of the most efficient tacklers at the defensive midfield position from a statistical standpoint in all of MLS um, this year because of the additions of John Gregos and Ozzy Alonso. Rasmus Schuler now has been a player that we haven't seen as much when he's come in. He's done the done his part and, and continued to keep that same standard. But what, is, what do we expect of Robin Lud right, when he comes in? Um, I, I think it's hard to say today what we can expect in two or three weeks' time, but I imagine with the the mindset knowing that he's not going to be playing in games consistently. I imagine he's going to put be put through the absolute ringer fitness wise. Mm-hmm. So that way, when he does come in for those remaining 10 to 12 games, whatever it might be, um, he's ready to go from a fitness standpoint. But I think the biggest indication of why do you sign a winger right now when you have Kevin Molino, Ethan Finley, Miguel Labara playing right now consistently, three very good wingers, and even Darwin Quintero that has shifted out wide at times, Abud Lottie that we've seen deployed out wide. Why do you sign a guy right now that's going to cost targeted allocation money, which you only have a certain amount of? Yes, you have discretionary, but Tam, it was a Tam usage, meaning he's going to be a player that makes quite a bit of money as well too. You only sign a player if you think he's better than what you have currently on the roster or can be a player that can start right away. So obviously the coaching staff, you don't chase a player for 18 months, 24 months, and spend this kind of money if you don't think he's better than what you have now. So we have to trust that the staff knows that about him, sees that in him, and I think it gives you a lot to be excited about. Certainly there should be expectations, but I don't think the expectations should be give us all these results in these 10 to 12 games, or else if you don't, you're out the door. This isn't a sign them, see how it goes type deal like we saw with Fernando Bob. Fernando Bob came in and said, right, you have an opportunity to impress for the remainder of this season. And if you do get signed, if you don't, you know, thanks, your extended trial is kind of over. Lud is a player that they see a future with, and it's a left-sided, left-footed player that can play on the right side, can even play underneath. So I think there's a lot to be excited about. Um, Don't get ready to justify or have knee-jerk reactions when he first starts playing in the first couple weeks. Let this pan out. Let this signing progress and give him the rest of the season into next season before we make a real, real assessment of him as a player within this league. Um, intriguing and, and really looking forward to seeing what uh, Robin Lerd has to offer this Minnesota United side. Uh, so penultimate subject here before we ultimately finish previewing Minnesota's next opponent, Rail Salt Lake. Uh, it was announced during the week that Chicago Fire are indeed uh, relocating. They're leaving SeatGeek Stadium and leaving the village of Bridgeview. All indications now, Kinder, would suggest that Soldier Field will be where they'll play their home games, at least for the immediate future. Um, Your immediate reaction to this, is it a good move? I think it's a fantastic move to get out of Bridgeview. I think that is, bar none, one of the best decisions they'll make, and it was one of the worst decisions when they signed the deal out there. There are some suburbs and some places away from cities that just don't work, and Bridgeview was one of them. Now, saying that, I love Nelson Rodriguez in his quote saying, we do not believe that moving to the city is a salve for all our issues. We have to do a better job of connecting to people where they live. So it's not just about being in the city and, like, you know, if you build it, they will come kind of a concept. The Chicago Fire still have to do better at connecting people, do better with their brand, do better with their team, all of the above. So this, 
And I, I like that he got ahead of that because I don't want people to think that just move them there and they'll that'll be better. Inconsequentially, or, or what's the word I'm looking for? But either way, they will get more people there, I believe, being in the city. But it still is a bigger issue and a bigger project to grow the brand and to connect with people for the Chicago Fire, even if you are in the city. And so it's still work to be done, but I still love the move. I love them getting out of Bridgeview and getting in the city. No doubt, Jamie, it is a good move for Chicago Fire, but it can't be the ultimate and the final move for them playing at Soldier Field, surely. No, it's not. But I think this could be hopefully a, an opportunity to refresh, maybe rebrand and relaunch this club in the market that they've lost their way within. Remember, they came onto the scene in 1998 and pulled the double off. Yes. They won MLS Cup and the Open Cup in their very first year. Under Bob Bradley, yes. And they had an incredible roster through the early 2000s, and you saw the likes of Damani Ralph <laughs> was an incredible goal scorer. You've had Ante Razov. You've had um, Quatamac Blanco play there as well. Um, I'm Obviously, I'm not going to remember every single name offhand here. Um, John Bush and goal. I mean, this, this is a team that every year you expected big things from, and we're always a consistent player on the Eastern Conference, um, but they haven't had that in the last couple of years. Um, the big thing that stands out for me, imagine imagine paying $60 million just to say, okay, now we can move somewhere else. Soldier Field is not free. <laughs> it's not a place that you can just go, right, well, we paid $60 million, so we don't have much left in the budget to be able to <laughs> say, can, you know, we can't afford to play here now. And this, it's not your building. So now you're renting that out. You're probably yep. paying for everything in it, oh, you know, you much give like a, we saw at TCF Bank Stadium on yep. a different scale. Like. Absolutely. You, you're, you're right. You give, it, you give a cut of concessions. You give a cut of your merchandise, a cut of your parking. Basically, every revenue stream that you have, you get – chopped off of the knees from with everything because soldier field gets a cut of all of that on top of the fee cost for, for, you know, playing in a massive newly renovated stadium in the heart of downtown Chicago. So with that, they've now put their money where their mouth is to say, we want to do everything we can to essentially almost pay what the equivalent of a new expansion fee might mm. be a portion of a new expansion fee is just to start over again. So they're going all in with that, but you can't just stop at that and go right now. There's not, the investment for players, because if you do all of this and then you don't get quality going forward, you know, then what's the point of even doing it? Right. So now you get hopefully more of the likes of signings like Nico Gaetan, who's been stellar since coming over yes. um, to major league soccer. And, you know, do you necessarily need to spend $5 million a year on Bastion's Feinsteiger? Probably not. You know what I mean? As much, as much of a legend as he is, guys won everything in, in soccer. I'm a huge fan of his, but is he the right move for them to invest $5 million in each year going forward now? So now he's probably not going to be around. Is Nemanja Nikolic going to be involved next year? Probably not. Mm. Is Katai going to be involved next year? Probably not. So there you go. There's several million dollars cleared in cap space you're paying DP money for, so that's coming out of your pocket. Now, can you reinvest that into the squad as well as the relocation? There's a lot to be done for the Chicago Fire. Nelson Rodriguez, one of the smartest people in Major League Soccer from an executive standpoint. Never been in doubt. Is he smart enough to be able to do it? He's got his right-hand man, Eddie Rock, with him there now, so they've got a big opportunity, but also a lot of challenges that lie ahead, but 
certainly putting their money where their mouth is to try to tackle the first big hurdle and getting out of Bridgeview and getting back into the downtown scene. Kendra, quick one before we move on. Chicago Fire, 10th in the Eastern Conference, 5, 9, and 8. Will Vykel Panovic be the manager when they move to Soldier Field next season? I actually thought he would have been fired after last season. I was really shocked that he was back. I don't think there's any chance. And then unless they make some magnificent Aston Villa reel off 10 wins run like they did last year, I don't I don't see it. I mean, I I, I think they should have made a change uh, after last season. And you've got Bastian Schweinsteiger there, Nemanja Nikolic, you know, Dax McCarty, all these names in, the, in these solid quality players. And they brought in additions for them as well um, this past season. So, no, I don't think Panovic is there when they move to Soldier Field. And quite rightly, I don't even know – I mean, will he make it to the end of the year? Right. You know, I mean, that's that's a question mark for me. Mm, we'll keep our eyes peeled on Chicago Fire. What's Dak saying? <laughs> you just get your phone out of text. <laughs> She's going to text him to say, hey, Dax, we're doing a podcast. You want to help me out real quick? You want to call in real quick? Uh, I can only imagine it's uh, the captain of uh, the Chicago Fire. That's one we don't necessarily always talk about because it's difficult times mm-hmm. for Chicago right now, and mm-hmm. he's been a steady key or them in the midfield, but oof, I, I like to keep my friendship on good terms, not ask about the difficult times as much. Maybe you can tell us when we're off the air. Um, <laughs> right, so next up for Minnesota United, Jamie Watson, your old stomping ground, Real Salt Lake. Um, I think it's safe to say they're probably about where people thought they would be in the Western Conference standings, just clinging on to uh, a postseason place. Uh, with 14 games remaining in Major League Soccer. What have you made of their campaign? Well, this has always been the issue with Real Salt Lake, maybe apart from their glory days uh, when they won the championship in 2009 and they had uh, a good three- to four-year run where their diamond midfield caused all sorts of problems and Major League Soccer was innovative at the time. And um, since then, they've lost that luster that they once had. Um, Look, Salt Lake, as I said this at the end of the broadcast on Fox Sports North the other day, the two very different teams, the team that plays at Rio Tinto Stadium and the team that plays away from Rio Tinto. Now this go-around, Minnesota United will be away at Rio Tinto where they are 7-2 and two at home this season. On the road, 2-7 and seven with two draws. So you're starting to see that it's almost uh, mirrored flip-flop images of what the team can be at home and away. Minnesota United last year actually drew at Salt Lake and had a late, winner taken back off the board through uh, a video review decision. So, so Minnesota United, um, I think show well when, when they play against Real Salt Lake, got their first win ever uh, on April 1st in 2017 in emphatic fashion against Real Salt Lake at home. Um, look, this team is, is very dependent on their big name players. Jefferson Savarino, Albert Rusnak, Demir Krylock. Those are the guys that have to consistently week in and week out, carry this team. If you can nullify those players and their effect of the game, who Savarino is maybe one of the most agile and dynamic players in the final third, his ability to create space and score from distance um, is a treat to watch, quite frankly. Rusnok, very complete player, doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes, to be honest, in the run of play. Smart player, technically sound, a Slovakian international with Jan Gregush. those are their real key threats, but I don't look at this team and I don't, I don't see anything that stands out as, you know, they don't have the, the Carlos Vela. They don't have the, the Darwin Quintero. They don't have the one player that 
go, man, let's just hope he has a bad game today because if he does, then we have a chance. If he doesn't have a bad game, we don't really have a chance. Um, so I think, I think it's a game in which Salt Lake really, truly need to pick up all three points because if they don't and the Western Conference results play out the way that they have kind of week in and week out where it's Western Conference heavy over the Eastern Conference opponents, I think they could find themselves on the wrong side of the playoff line at the end of this week if they don't pick up all three points. So I think it's a lot of pressure on them and Minnesota United if they are smart defensively and can pick their moments to go forward and counterattack. I think if they can defend well, look to break out, that's how you beat this Riasa Lake team at home and hand them their third loss on the season at home. I couldn't agree more. And, and Kindra, I'm interested to get your thoughts here. RSL, in my opinion, will view this almost as a must win because, as Jamie mentioned, if they don't, the playoffs will, will look a, a little bit more unfairly on them after the 90 minutes um, at Rio Tinto Stadium. I think they're going to view it as a must win for that exact reason and the fact that they're at home. But I do feel like this Minnesota United team going into that stadium in 2019 is a completely different animal for them than 2017 or 2018 and how teams, any team in RSL included view Minnesota United entering their home stadium. It is not a walk in the park. It is not an easy three points. It's a completely different animal. And so I think, yes, RSL will view it as a must win proposition for them, but not an easy task by any means. They're going to need the best games from their best players and maybe Nick Ramondo to come up with some spectacular saves like he's capable of. Beckerman to kind of control the middle if he's on the pitch and the studs that Jamie just mentioned to have a good game as well for them to come away with the victory because I do think Minnesota is riding high. They've got the momentum. They've rested some of their guys against Aston Villa and Minnesota United on the road is a completely different beast than 2017 and 2018. You would expect from a Minnesota point of view to be back to full strength and full flowing fabulous football that they have been playing over the the last couple of weeks. There's no reason to change anything. Nope, not a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. I think, you know, I, you know, maybe in the FC Dallas game, um, you know, swapping Ethan Finley, Miguel Abar. I mean, there's some pieces maybe in, in those spaces that you could change depending on what Adrian feels like as far as form heading into this match on the road in altitude um, but I, I don't know. It's not a necessity. Every, everywhere else, I think, is going to stay status quo. I think that was the one piece that we maybe saw flip-flop a little bit. And if Ozzy Alonso is good and healthy and, and ready to go. And then, of course, Roma Metanere. That's what I was just about to say. Yeah. I was about to say, it's there's there's one change that you must make, and that you got to find a way to get your lone all-star Roma Metanere back on the field. So then what does that do for Adrian Heath? Does he keep Chase Gasper at left back? who got the night off the other day, was in street clothes, didn't even dress last night against Aston Villa. Uh, Hassani Dotson was on the bench. Is that a sign of where Adrian Heath sees that? Because in my mind, Hassani Dotson proved earlier this season he can play at left back from Philadelphia or against Philadelphia Union. Um, did really well in that game, scored a screamer of a goal. Um, so those two are competing for the left back spot um, Saturday night at mm-hmm. Rio Tinto. Roman Metzner most certainly will be at the right back position. So... It's interesting. The team was on a really good run without Metanere, who was away at the African Cup of Nations, uh, representing Madagascar, and and did so admirably. But and you look at this, they they lost only once while Metanere was gone in all all competitions, and that was uh, quite impressive. Eight games. Who'd have thought we'd have said that when Metanere left? Mm. I certainly would have, but I wouldn't have. Excuse me. Um, 
I think that you find a way to get Mets in there back. I think you find a way to make a decision between the two and whichever one of the rookies wins out for that outside back position, you make sure to say, if it's you, I select Chase Gasper on the day. Okay. Then guess what? you got an immense amount of pressure from another guy that can play this position. So you can't let the level drop today. If you want to retain this spot. So be interesting to see, but uh, man, we should be in a good one uh, in for another good one. And 13 of the remaining 14 matches against Western conference opponents. So every game from here on out, it's a six pointer. My thanks to Kindred A. St. Aubin and to Jemmy Watson, as always, and our producer, Tyson Hill. And you can watch Royal Salt Lake hosting Minnesota United, Fox Sports North Plus, on Saturday evening, 8.30 p.m. Central underway. You can, of course, listen to the game on the radio on Score North as well. As always, thank you so much for joining. You've been listening to a Minnesota United production. 